Hi everyone, welcome to the Progress Over Perfection Coaching Podcast. My name is Patrick Dedrick, and I'm the founder of Progress Over Perfection Coaching and your host, and I want to thank you for listening in. Progress Over Perfection Coaching is a podcast focused on career management and development by offering insight on how to build an intentionally balanced and purpose-filled career. We're kicking off 2023 with another career deep dive, where I bring on guests that, live, that are living successful careers to have them share their insights, experiences, and perspectives on career building and development. While the overarching themes and focus on career development will be pretty consistent throughout all my guests, my aim is to bring on guests from a diverse range of backgrounds that can lend unique insights on a particular aspect of what makes up a career. That can mean a specialization in a particular field or industry, experience with certain kinds of career events, or that might be able to offer helpful advice on how others can grow their own careers. My guest for this episode is Nam Nguyen. Nam is a mathematician and lawyer by education, a self-proclaimed sneakerhead, and successful and rising leader in the vendor management and business operations space with the NFL. In addition to that, Nam is a husband and a father and takes very seriously the need to strike a balance with all of those things. Nam is a wealth of insight on how to bring mindfulness to some of the behind-the-scenes aspects of thinking about careers. Let's get into it. Right, Nam, thanks a lot for your time. Um, glad to have you here. And um, yeah, just looking forward to talk to you about your, your career. Cool. Let's do it. Yeah. So I think, uh, you know, for starters, uh, why I reached out, aside from you being uh, a friend and, and an awesome person, um, what was interesting about your career for me looking back is like you started with an undergraduate in like applied mathematics and then ended up getting your your law degree and and then kind of moved into the sporting goods and entertainment industry can you kind of walk through um that career and like the the diverse journey and how you got to where you were and sure um i'll start off with um where i'm from so i was born and raised in uh, los angeles california um in this kind of small suburb called um, Hawthorne, California. It's where Tesla and SpaceX is, and it's close to um, LA, LAX. Uh, my parents were Vietnamese refugees, so they came to the United States after Saigon fell in 1975, and then they settled down in what we call the South Bay of um, like the Los Angeles, uh, California area. Um, the Hawthorne is a uh, very diverse, so it's predominantly Latino and African-American. And growing up in this environment and this area, um, you know, I grew up in the mid nineties and was just very much obsessed with like collecting shoes, collecting Nikes, nineties basketball shoes, um, Jordan. So it was a Jordan area era. So I was really obsessed with like Michael Jordan, nineties bulls, and then later the um, Kobe Shaq Lakers. Um, from there, I wanted to stay local so um, I went to UCLA, which is uh, 12 miles um, north from, from where I live, and went to UCLA. And um, I originally wanted to major in, to do pre-med, like a good Asian kid. Um, but I found that I hated bio and chem. Um, so then I switched to engineering. Like, that's the, the backup for a good Asian <laughs> kid. Um, and then I didn't like physics. Um, so then I really, really liked math because it was very... Um, process oriented and I could recognize patterns e easily and it was very predictable. So, um, and I could probably still get a safe quote unquote safe tech job with, with a math degree. So I did applied math with a minor in computer science and my last um, semester at UCLA, I took a business law course and I was like, Oh, it's like the logic of math, but I can apply it to more real world. Um, just cause when I did my internships in, engineering and applied math, um, it was very, very boring. And I, I didn't really see myself in the, um, in the, in the engineers that I work with. <clears throat> From there, um, I applied to law school. I got into a local law school called Loyola Law School. Um, it's in downtown Los Angeles um, and part of the LMU system, uh, educational system. And um, I got in, so I went to law school and the best part of law school is when anybody asks you what you're going to do when you grow up, I'm just going to like, oh, I can just say I'm a lawyer and I don't really have to like 
think about what I really like or really what I really want to do. So I went to law school and I was very much focused on just graduating and passing the bar because they kind of like bang that into your head. Like you can't do anything unless you pass the bar. So all your classes focus on classes that will help you prepare for the bar. Um, I finished law school. I actually had a great time um, at law school. Uh, learned a lot, met some of my closest friends. And after I graduated, um, I was lucky and fortunate to graduate right when the Great Recession was happening in 2008. So basically, there were no jobs. Um, but I passed the bar. And even though it was the Great Recession, um, people are still suing each other. So I got a job into litigation. And then I slowly started working my way as a young lawyer. And I just found it really um, uninspiring and not really connecting with my personality. Um, my first boss was like a yeller and screamer. Um, and like uh, the work was very much introverted work, um, you know, writing and drafting beautiful legal briefs and doing research. And you're not really talking to a judge. Um, the people do you do interact with are like your support staff, which is like a small group or, um, or you're, you're, you're talking to opposing counsel who is not warm and fuzzy and you're talking to your uh, boss who's not warm and fuzzy. So I started, um, I left litigation and did more advice and counsel work for small businesses and corporations. And I started finding that was a little bit more um, fulfilling just because I was actually helping people put deals together or help their businesses. And then in 2014, um, my wife got um, a job at Nike um, in Portland, and that had always been my dream company, just because um, how um, where I grew up. And I was like, um, and so she got a job there, and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll move up to Portland, just because like I had a dead end law job at the time. So then I moved up to Portland, took the Oregon State Bar, passed it, and then I started looking for jobs, and then. I eventually found this subject area or job at Nike, which was like a contractor role in something called vendor management. And basically what that is, is that in large corporations, um, they um, outsource a lot of their services, IT services, um, whatever services that they don't have a core competency in to vendors. And they have seven, major, uh, seven, seven figure, eight figure contracts, and they need someone to manage those contracts um, and to negotiate those contracts. So I went into that area and I actually took a pay cut to um, you know, my first year salary in like 2009 to make that transition. But it was an interesting change. And I finally found success in that area. Um, and we can talk about that later. But I ended up being at Nike for four and a half years, moved up the corporate ladder because I finally found a place where it hit my skill sets and interests. And I left there as a director with a team of nine. And in 2019, um, I had a kid at the time with my wife. So um, um, we had pressure, family pressure to move back to LA. So I moved back to LA and then I eventually got a job at NFL uh, Media um, doing the same thing, vendor management and um, recently got promoted to senior director and um, having a good time here. So I've been at the NFL at this point for like two and a half years, but that's kind of a medium version of my career history. <laughs> no, that's awesome. <clears throat> One of the things that um, you talk about on the, on the podcast with other guests as well um, is kind of about these pivot points and kind of going through your career and when you make these changes, kind of what are the things that, that made you make those changes? You kind of talked about, you know, Kathy, your wife got a job at Nike and, and kind of gave you a chance to, to be in the proximity to work at your dream company. What were the things that like factored in as you, you looked at Nike in particular? And especially like you mentioned, taking a pay cut, you know, five years, six years out from like a salary that you used to have. What were the, the key things that factored into that decision? Um. When I talk to young people, it's, or when I hear other career advice, a lot of it sometimes is about like, oh, you got to find a sponsor or you have to find the right mentor and stuff like that. And I usually don't like that advice as much because um, it has to rely on other people. Um, and what I found was what's something I can do myself. So when I look at my career and all the pivots, um, 
and the reason why I spent so much time to lay everything out is that if you look at my career, one way to look at it is that it's full of failure and then introspection about the failure. Mm. Um, that can be a, a negative slant, but the failure, in my opinion, is part of the process to go to success. So one of the things I think about is um, like one of the things that's really important is to try things and, and fail fast and then pivot to something else as opposed to finding the one thing that like you like and you excel out and like double down at that is the easier, shorter path. Um, but for me, it was more trying different things and figuring out what I don't like to do. And mm. along that path, you pick up different skill sets. So what's an example of that? Like when I say like my success at Nike and like at the NFL, part of it is, I got to use my entire life experience and that's what made me successful as opposed to when I was a lawyer, I was just a mediocre attorney or when I was an engineer, I was a mediocre engineer just because like it focused so much on being a really sharp knife in legal research and writing. <laughs> right. But at Nike, I was able to use my entire life experience because like at Nike, you're working in a large matrix organization based on, relationships right so I actually drew a lot from my experiences in customer service at retail jobs like Starbucks and like um like other retail jobs that I've I met I, I've been at because you're constantly facing with internal uh, stakeholders mm-hmm. at Nike and vendor management I had to put together um there's a legal aspect obviously because you have um these like uh, contracts that you have to negotiate and, and draft and, and, and work with lawyers to, to draft up or with opposing counsel. Um, it drew upon my love of shoes and sports, right? Back from back in my high school uh, years. It drew upon my applied math and minor in computer science because I was in the IT organization and the digital organization. So, so I can talk to engineers. Um, and then it drew upon my intro- extrovert personality because I was constantly meeting and working with different people and building relationships as opposed to being in a small legal office. So unfortunately, like <clears throat> it would have been easier if I just would have found that to begin with, but I needed to kind of fail in different aspects, quote unquote fail um, through college and through my, my legal career in order to build up those skill sets to go to Nike. And then even at Nike, I, I even hit failure there, right? Uh, eventually hit my own like bamboo ceiling, which made me pivot over to the NFL um, and, uh, and and kind of uh, continue that journey there. Yeah. I think the interesting thing too, that you uh, kind of piecing together the that and then comparing it to what you said before, it's almost uh, like you needed to find a way to, to add to a tool belt instead of just sharpening one knife, like you were saying, like you, instead of being like a really good engineer and just focusing on engineering skills or a really good lawyer and focusing on, you know, lawyer skills, how do you bring you in totality to the picture and like engage as much of you as possible? Uh, yeah. So, cause like, like I said, like if you're looking for an attorney, like a really, really good sharp attorney, like there's so many people that are better than me than that. Right. Um, but when I combine myself with other aspects of like, is there somebody out there with a law degree who lived and breathed like, uh, sports and shoes and grew up with that, who's Asian American, who's an extrovert with a quirky personality, who's X, 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 then eventually you you realize you're like one of a kind as opposed Mm -hmm. to just being like another tool. Right. So it's like, sometimes when I talk to younger people, they're like, Oh, I want to get into sports media or I want to like work at Nike. Like what are like things I should like, or I want to be, I want to go into law. They're like, Oh, what, what, what publication should, should, um, should I read or what, um, what, what book should I read? And I'm just like, you know, you want to differentiate yourself. So like, instead of just focusing more on me reading more legal materials or like learning more about what's happening in sports, what other skill sets can you pick up that will differentiate you? So for lawyers, like I'm like, what business skill sets can you can you pick up? Because eventually, th- there's a business paying for your legal services, 
if you understand how that business works, then I'll differentiate you. Um, for young people like who are starting out in corporate, I'm like, you're going to figure out the data and analytics part of it. But like how many data and analytics or engineers know how to present and make nice decks and know how to present those decks. Right. So it's like, it's, it's, you want to kind of uh, zag when everyone's zigging, you know, or vice versa. Mm -hmm. It's funny. That reminds me, did you ever, um, did you ever meet John McPhee at Nike? The um, supply chain university. Yeah. 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 It's funny. Uh, I remember talking to him early on uh, when I started there. And as we were talking, uh, he gave very similar advice. He's like, cool. So uh, as he was talking to me, like, all right, you're, you're a white guy from Oregon in supply chain. Cool. So we're like 5,000 other people here. What are you going to do to differentiate yourself? So kind of that whole, that same concept of what are you going to do to, to basically tell your story besides kind of what shows up on paper? Like, how do you, how do you tell that story? And I think that was such a big piece of, of being at Nike and working at Nike was focusing on that storytelling and, and sounds too like you've taken it really to heart in terms of personal storytelling and personal branding. Yeah. What's like, what else are you going to bring to the table? And then eventually you do have to talk about that, you know, so we can, we can get more into that as well. Yeah. I think maybe on the, the last, the last piece here on kind of career pivots, are there certain dimensions or aspects that you found were the hardest to wrestle with when, when deciding whether or not to make a change, like maybe it was something that like a hurdle or a factor that was really hard to, to reconcile with when making a change or sure. maybe um, prevented you from making a change in the past? Yeah. So like I kind of said, like um, my career pivots are, are, deter are, are very much um, highlighted by failure and introspection. So I'll jump to like the introspection part and what, what I mean by that. So before when I looked at jobs and where my self-esteem was at at the time, um, which was like, I didn't have a, a high emotional intelligence. I didn't have an, a, 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 like a very deep understanding of myself. The only metrics I saw for jobs was like security title and money was basically part of security. So it's basically money and title right and that's mm -hmm. a lot of the societal metrics of like linkedin and social media and, and instagram as i got like to started getting success at nike and i i hit the director level i had the quote-unquote title and i had the quote-unquote money but i was still unhappy mm. and you have to imagine when you are working in an industry for five or 10 years, you will eventually get everything that you want, the house, the Mercedes, the title, the money. And then I realized that if I just kept on chasing those two metrics of money and title, there would be no end. I would never be happy mm. because whatever I got, my hedonic treadmill would just reset. And then I'd be like, what's next. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I realized that what I needed was my own internal metrics and my own KPIs. So I eventually got to five, which was like meaningful relationships, transparent communications, uh, work-life balance, uh, being a present engaged father and uh, continual learning. And with those five metrics, I realized that a lot of my favorite jobs, experiences, friendships ha hit a lot of those metrics. And I could use those five metrics or five values um, to evaluate future jobs going forward. So instead of just blindly in the dark looking for the best title and best money, I could now evaluate the opportunities in front of me and even the people that I wanted to associate with myself or bring into my life with those five metrics. So that helped me analyze my pivots going forward. That's awesome. Did you like, it sounds like you've clearly put a ton of thought into like distilling down to these five metrics. So is it like a really conscious, like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to figure out what these metrics are one day, or is it, have they evolved over time? Like maybe you started with one and realized you were missing another. And yeah. Kind of built so, on it? Yeah. <clears throat> Everything's tons of introspection. It's all like, uh, based on failure, introspection, therapy, all those things. Right. So Basically at Nike, I, I hit a certain point and I realized I wasn't getting the validation um, 
I wanted in terms of titles or compensations or compliments from like my, from management. And I realized like, Hey, if I always rely on validation from society or from corporation or from a VP or from my boss, it'll never be enough. And happiness will never be um, something I have control over. So I had to sit down, talk to my therapist and she's like, you know, Hey, you have to come up with your own metrics for happiness and success. And then I had to Google like um, values lists. So um, basically there's, if you could just Google like values or value lists, then they'll have like a hundred, 200, 300 words of, of, of basically different values. You go and start circling the ones that speak to you. And then when you, let's say you have 20, you'll realize that it has the same themes and you can mm. put them in different buckets. So health, mental health, uh, exercise, uh, work life, you can all put that into like work life balance. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and you'll find these kind of themes and then you can determine what your values are. And then after that, you can start practicing it and using that. And even I had to start building these muscles from scratch. So once I had those five values and I sit down and say, Hey, dude, I hit these five things today. Right. Um, I'm talking to Patrick, transparent conversation. We're uh, picking up on our friendship. So I'm hitting two of those values. I'm doing a podcast for the first time. That's going to be a new intellectual challenge for me, right? So like, I, it's not taking me away from being uh, a present father. I'm going to go play with my kids after this, right? Um, and then hopefully I get into an exercise, right? So like, I am hitting all five of those values today, right? And, I, and quote unquote, I have to convince myself in my mind that I am successful today. So um, that's kind of like the how you, you can slowly build up those muscles. Yeah, I think that's it's uh, <laughs> being so close to the new year too when everybody's making new year's resolutions. Uh, I think it's interesting tied to how do, how do you make like maintain that discipline and, and stick with it? Because I feel like that's like a, this is ripe for like a, a new year's resolution target for a lot of people that might be listening to say, oh, I want to do that. Like how do, do you have any recommendations for how you, how you continue to exercise that muscle and maintain kind of diligence around it? Um, yeah, like for me, I have like a lot of ruminating thoughts. I have trouble being present. I have phone addiction, you know? So, um, you know, my emotions can go up and down. So like, as long as I have a stable routine that helps me cope with everyday life and provide that stability. So if I have a bad day, then I still have that exercise routine to work out to, to look at the next day. Um, and then it started off with developing those healthy like habits of like doing a gratitude log every day, mm -hmm. you know, or doing a values log every day. So I can go and focus, like re refocus and, and keep those things. And I, I'm all about making things easy and sustainable. So I don't have to think. Right. So like, mm -hmm. um, for the listeners out there, the, the, the way me and Patrick actually met was we used to do the 5.30 a.m. CrossFit class in Oregon together. You know, that's like insane times, right? And sometimes Patrick, I think, would take the 4.30 a.m. class, right? But it's because we crave this like routine and this predictability. And we wanted that baseline of like health, um, camaraderie, and, and so like I, I call CrossFit like adult, um, adult daycare or adult like <laughs> recess sometimes because it's just like, a, it's just a bunch of adults like it's our time it's really quiet in the morning to kind of like get some energy out and then we go and and attack the rest of the day so um it you try to want to make it as as easy as possible something you can do on yourself and something not daunting so it could be as easy as making a notepad a note in your iphone and just writing down what your gratitude what, you, what you're grateful for what your values are uh, and and putting those things and then um, because we are type A people, I assume that we are very critical of ourselves and we have those muscles that are very critical and judgmental muscles that are very, very strong that we've been developing for 30, 40 years. Um, so you have to also develop the positivity muscles <laughs> and the <laughs> grateful and the positive affirmation muscles. And it, you have to start from somewhere. And if you, um, and it may, it may start as easy as today, I'm grateful that I'm connecting with Patrick and giving yourself a positive affirmation that I am a good manager or I am a good worker and 
practicing that positive voice because our judgmental voice is like so strong and we have to learn how to quiet that down. Uh, I love that. I think that's awesome. Um, yeah, really, really important. I think call out to say that it's gotta be a very conscious muscle that I think is easy to neglect. Um, and I, I, and the way that this connects back to like career and actual work stuff is that I realized that, um, after doing all this introspection and stuff like that, that I felt that my, the reason I didn't have success earlier was because someone else didn't give me a chance or someone else didn't mm -hmm. give me the opportunity or someone else didn't hire me. But then I started to realize that I was the one holding myself back because I was my judgment and um, self-esteem was low and my judgment of myself was high. And I didn't give myself the opportunity to pursue and try different things and be okay with failure. So once I quieted that, that those voices down, then I was able to actually like focus on being creative and like try different things and not worry so much about someone else thinking I'm successful, but just being like, okay, cool. If it works out, then I'll learn something new. If it doesn't work, I'll, I'll, maybe I'll get promoted if it works out, but if it doesn't work out, I'll still like, learn a new skill so mm -hmm. let me give you a use case right so like um at nfl um my day job is managing the large vendors for the digital media and the the um the linear tv business unit i could just focus on that um but through the asian american erg there i had these opportunities to um work on different projects that uh, like we did a Super Bowl activation and we did a mural and we raised money for charity um, as part of uh, the LA Super Bowl. So like I have no business playing in that space. I have like, uh, I know nothing about, no, know nothing about events or marketing, but I tried it out and I didn't really care about the op. The, it was like more work by the side of my desk. No one was like, my entire vertical wasn't going to recognize me for it, but then I was able to build, build different relationships, build different skill sets. And now it's like a bullet point or a story I can, I can use and talk about for either this job or my next job. So that, that's just an example. Of that. That's no, that's awesome. And I think, yeah, yep. I think for those that, that don't know ERG or employee resource group, so that's just like an extra employee organized group that you guys have at the NFL, right? Correct. And <clears throat> what I've learned is that to be noticed, at least in my organization, it's not enough just to do your day job. But <clears throat> what I realized is that like to get promoted within these big corporations, it's it's not a meritocracy. Uh, so like meritocracy is like, you know, you think that if you get the highest grades in college, mm -hmm. you get you 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 study the most, you you perform the, the best on the test, then then you get like the highest grade. But that's only 40 or 50% of that in corporate. The other part is kind of like a beauty contest. Like people have to like you <laughs> and like basically people have to like you, want to work with you, want to, want to raise you up. And like, you have to like find these different platforms where you can cut across different verticals horizontally, as opposed to just managing to your, to your, to your vertical. Cause like your VP or your boss may be like, Hey, Nam, I want to promote Nam. But then a, a VP from another vertical will be like, I don't know who that person is, so mm -hmm. I don't care. But if you work with all the other VPs or they see that you're providing impact in different areas, then they'll notice you. And I think an ERG or cross-functional uh, projects are good, good platforms for that. And again, yeah. when you evaluate these things, make sure they hit your values, right? Yeah. I love to, I mean, just you were talking about the idea of like failing, failing fast and kind of the other aspect of not being too hard on yourself or too self-critical, like an ERG sounds like a really, or similar kind of volunteer experience sounds like a great opportunity for that, where you can try something new and it's kind of a low stakes, low stakes failure too. Like you can fail and it's okay. Like you weren't expected to do great in that because you're trying out something new. So worst case scenario, you maybe don't get the results you wanted, but best case you pick up a new skill and make relationships that you might not have otherwise. So. Yep. Correct. Correct. That's awesome. Well, cool. I think um, maybe we'll pivot slightly. You talked about kind of work-life balance being one of those internal KPIs. So what do you do? Uh, 
maybe in addition to having the just being very present and, and aware of trying to maintain balance, like what do you do to maintain that balance between having a successful career, being a partner to your wife, having two small kids? How do you make all that work? How do you make sure that you, there's time enough in the day for all of that? Um, again, it's like your own journey that lots of introspection again. Like I think one of the things I think about is boundaries. So sometimes when I see with workaholics, it's they need a certain level of control they it it bothers them if things aren't of a certain quality or they really care about their perception within the org and um i learned that from like prior jobs that if you care a lot about the perception of your standing within the org then that's something you don't have control over of whether or not they people like you quote unquote Mm -hmm. um so that's not if you chase after perception and whether or not vps like you it's you'll never be happy so it's just you have to be secure within what you're contributing to an org and you have to kind of what i the way i look at it is like how much political capital have you built up how much goodwill have you built up within the organization and if you decide to log off at 5 p.m because you have to take care of your family or yourself like you you just have to be okay that you've built up a good, not enough goodwill. And if they do judge you for that, then maybe that's not the right organization for you, right? Mm. As opposed to like keeping on to extend it for six to seven o'clock. Cause like one of the things I think about too is that, um, so having those boundaries are, are important, but also like I, what I think about like zooming out big pictures, like what are we all doing this for, right? So like we're all gonna, eventually if we work long enough, we're going to have the money or the title or, or accumulate a lot of money. Right. Or you can kill yourself now to, to accumulate a lot of money. But then like, what's the point of like 10, 20 years from now, your kids don't talk to you or want to have a relationship with you. Right. Like what's like, what's the point of it all? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? You'll have a lot of money, but you won't have a relationship with your kids or your, your kids. Um, you know, they'll be addicted to drugs or something like that. I mean, we all know people who are like more successful and have tons of money um, than we do, but are they happy? You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, so again, going back to sustainability and stuff. So that's like another thing that I think of is like, it. it's like, again, instead of chasing the money and the title, chase like uh, chase after the values. And so um, it's like having that mindset and then, um, exercising it with the right boundaries and if I am in an organization that's going to punish me for having quote-unquote work-life balance even though I take care of my my stuff then maybe that's not the right organization for me and then having the confidence that I can find another job and the evolution can continue on yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah think um so you mentioned too like the having a gratitude log or a values log and kind of taking stock of things how do you how do you pick up on when things are out of balance for you Is, are there things that you catch yourself like you mentioned ruminating thoughts just do you, do you do those peak up more or like what are some tips you might have for others to to pick yeah, up on being out of balance yeah so like even um recently this <laughs> this past winter um more so when I lived in Oregon uh, as opposed to LA, but even this past winter, I started to have a little bit seasonal effectiveness disorder. So, so for like the changing of the seasons, lack of sunlight and stuff like that. And I could find myself more um, lethargic, less energy. Um, another thing was um, had difficulty at work, having to um, uh, grow in different areas of like having direct confrontations, which aren't, aren't my, uh, our skill set that I'm working on um, just because I'm like, I like harmony and non-confrontation. Mm -hmm. um, so notice that when I got home, um, had less energy for my family, was more uh, moody and temperamental and stuff like that. So um, things that I had to do or uh, was just introspection, um, talking to my wife, uh, focusing on what I could control, like can I exercise more? Can I connect with different people? Um, uh, can I go to therapy? Um, 
and also um one of the things i uh tried or been trying is like besides uh, meditation was also being comfortable with discomfort um and sitting in the discomfort instead of trying to find um a quick fix i think we're in an instant gratification um kind of like uh era um for whatever reasons and we want to swipe right and we want to find the meditation app or like a, a zoom therapist but um what i've been actually trying to uh work on is just like putting the phone down and just sitting with the discomfort and what's the worst that can i that can happen with being alone in my own thoughts right mm. um and meditating so um those are the things that I've been trying to um, work on as well. And it's just like always staying curious and not just being like, uh, not being, uh, not being, uh, um, sorry, not being okay with the status quo. And <laughs> it may feel, um, it may feel daunting that, nothing will you, you always have to put this work in but i i i look at it more as like a lifelong journey and that the discomfort will always be there and we'll always have to put the work in but i've learned to enjoy the process as mm. opposed to avoid it and just try to chase after milestones um and it goes back to like you know the kind of mantra of this of, of your um, coaching philosophy of like progress over perfection. Right. So it's, it's sure. more about the, per the progress than trying to um, reach this theoretical perfection. Cause there is no perfection. Yeah. I think to that contrast that you just called out between that instant gratification versus really embracing the fact that it's a process and trying to work through it. So. <clears throat> yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I didn't know if you, you were expecting this to be so like a, uh, <laughs> the therapy and and uh, psychological as opposed to like more career based. <laughs> oh, dude, this is this is awesome. This is deep. We're getting into it. Um, yeah. I mean, it's all, I feel like it's all important. Um, and I think too, you mentioned uh, you know you were focusing on direct conflict, so kind of identifying that as an area that you wanted to to improve on and develop. I think too, for a lot of us that are in you know more corporate settings, you know, we're, as we get into the new year, we set up new development plans and everything. We're going to do an episode on that coming up, but do you have any advice from your own experience on how you build your own development plan to figure out and pinpoint what you want to get better at? And then how do you build a plan to go after those things? And what kind of support do you ask for? So um, for development plans, are you speaking more of like the ones that we have to do for corporate or the ones that we do for ourselves? Let's do both. Let's do, uh, you can pick which one we do first, but let's, let's talk both. Yeah. So for the corporate ones, I try to connect it with like the four or five pillars, whatever the corporate uh, overarching umbrella strategy is. Right. So mm -hmm. like, and then I try to find experience and try and find my ways that the work that I do on a day-to-day -day basis connects to that. So I'll, put those like four or five pillars and then put like tasks that um or projects that I'm working on um in general from a big picture perspective it's I I try to find projects so uh, another way to look at this is like uh, some people look at work and so the family that I was raised in, Vietnamese American family, it's like always do things for the family. Like you're doing it for the Nguyen's. Don't let down, don't let down the Nguyen's. Don't embarrass the Nguyen's. Don't bring shame or dishonor to your family. Don't crack jokes. Don't bring attention to yourself. Now I'm in like a Western corporate environment where it's all about how do I market myself? How do I talk about my brand? How do I tell my, my story? how do I bring attention to the work that I do and, and show my KPIs and stuff like that. And, um, and it's in direct conflict of my Asian values that I brought up, uh, I was brought up with. Right. Mm -hmm. So I had to kind of let, and I, when I came in with that mindset to legal and corporate of doing what's best for the company and always having that mindset, I realized I would, be getting resentment when I wasn't recognized for my efforts or when I sacrificed my time or my expertise or put myself emotionally 
and then I, um, I wasn't appreciated for that. So now when I look at projects or things that will help my career, I realize I have to put myself first and my career first and be quote unquote selfish, put my team second. And if I'm doing what's best for myself and my team, then it's, it's going to benefit the company the best because I'm going to be doing things with high morale and high quality mm. as opposed to putting the company first and then my team and then myself last. So when I look at projects, I look at it in, or, or things I want to develop. I look at in terms of what skill sets are they going to develop or what, um, what relationships am I going to build? What impact cross-functionally is it going to happen? Because if I do that big cross-functional project or even if I do a single task and I don't get recognized for it, it doesn't matter because I still win because I still develop mm. a new skill that if they don't recognize me at this one company, then I, I can use it to uh, trade those chips in and use it to get another job somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I had to develop this mindset um, based on a lot of corporate trauma <laughs> or tra- uh, because I, I had to be in situations where I did sacrifice myself for the company and didn't get recognized for it and, um, and was resentful for it. And then now I have this different mindset and I'm a lot more happier for it. But yeah. it's <laughs> sometimes it's like, it's in direct opposition of what society says is right or how we're raised. Yeah. Hmm. No, I like the, the kind of flipping it on its head, the, the idea that you can still meet those business objectives Yeah. by not so, focusing just on the objective, but focus like th- that'll follow if you do right by yourself and do right by your team. Yeah. So we have like a couple different ways to look at individual development plan, right? So putting yourself first, team second, corporation last. And then you also have your values of like, okay, am I working on this project or these things that will hit these five values? And then um, the last bucket I would say is what free things or what things does the corporation provide that are learning experience? So are there brown bag lunches where they like, you know, brown lunch and learns, are there, um, classes that they provide are there um, are there like uh, uh, one-on-ones that you can do or catch-ups that you can do with people I, I look at these corporations as like like Mars University or Nike University and stuff mm-hmm. and like what value can you extract out of this platform experience because they are extracting a lot of value out of you and mm-hmm. making at least mm-hmm. two to three times profit <laughs> off of whatever salary so you have to kind of flip it on your head and like look out for yourself is, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's a mutual, it's a, it's a symbiotic relationship too, but you got to make sure that you're getting out of it. Like it's, it's not all going to be spoon fed to you from the benefit of, benefit of working at a, at a company, right? You got to yeah. really fight for what's right for you. Yeah. And um, it's, it's all up to you. Like I don't, if, your boss is there or your VP is there to, to provide support and along the way, then cool. But I, I've, I've, I've had to go through experiences where it's like, it's only up to me. I have to mm-hmm. be self-sufficient. I, I can't expect the company to do what's best for me or their employees because like they're soulless capitalist <laughs> companies. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah. just, it, it is what it is, you know? And I, I just have to like, like look out for myself and it's based on my own trauma and experiences, you know, I'll, I'll yeah. put it out there. Well, it's like you are saying too, I think it's, uh, it's, it's all what's best for you is very specific and unique to each individual. And it sounds like it's only through that introspection that you can really know what is best for you and to expect somebody else, whether it's a manager, aside from like a company, right. A manager or a VP, if you don't know what's best for you, how are they going to know what's best for you, right? So I think yeah. it's it's almost unfair to to put it on others um, and an unrealistic expectation for them to know what's best for you. Because um, like you're saying too, what they can do is they can give you the title, they can give you the money, but that only gets you so far. So yeah, oh, that's awesome. Well, cool. I think um, maybe we'll kind of wrap with uh, the coolest thing you've done in your career. Love to know, and and maybe any we'll finish with any advice you have for for others, any generic advice. But first, coolest thing you've done in your career. I know working at Nike, working at the NFL, there's probably no shortage of awesome things. But what's the coolest thing you've been able to do in your career? Um. So like, there's there there's like the shiny like 
LinkedIn and 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 like uh, like humble brag stuff that I can put out there of like um, you know one of the strangest weeks at Nike was when I like when Kobe was still alive he did a book tour at Nike and I sat within like a small like 50 person room where he was talking being interviewed at Nike and talking about his book and the next the next week we saw LeBron play kickball you know <laughs> because he was like on campus and stuff like that um, and you know like at the NFL there's like we there the LA uh, I was able to go to my first Super Bowl which was in my hometown of uh, Los Angeles and you know saw the whole Dre halftime performance stuff but the experiences that were most meaningful to me were things I could do for other people mm. so um for example like um because my language like the the love language I like to give is acts of service the love language I like to receive is like words of affirmation the things that have been most meaningful for me is like getting everyone on my team raises like, you know, during a COVID recession, right. Mm -hmm. um, being able to directly impact these people's like well-being and, and the like, and, and their, and their, and their quality of life, um, getting um, feedback from them that like uh, from my teams at Nike and here that I was like one of their best managers. Right. And some of these people have been working for like 10, 20, 30 years, you know, like, mm -hmm those are things that are more meaningful more so than the, the just these just fleeting moments. Cause I, I, I think they're not as sustainable, but like kind of being able to really impact because we spend so much um, time at work uh, that I, I think if you can give your staff like a comfortable working envir environment where it's like respectful, comfortable and, um, they can succeed outside of work. I think that's, that's what's most important to me. That's awesome. Yeah. So then how about any, uh, maybe anything you wish you'd known earlier in your career? I mean, you spoke a lot about failures and having to learn from, from different things. Is there any like crucial piece of advice that you wish you'd known as you yeah. entered the, the workforce or anything that you feel set you on the right path today? Yeah. So like a couple of things is like, I would have started therapy and exercise way earlier so I, I didn't really start exercise until like law school um so like my mid-20s and then um I didn't start till therapy until my, my late 20s and just kind of like starting that introspection journey is more important and eventually like that leads over to corporate because what really sets people apart in corporate is not the IQ because once you're into the gates of these big corporations and you go through the screening process, everyone will assume that everyone is like generally not dumb. They're still going to be dumb people, <laughs> but they're going to assume that you're not dumb. So like, what's really going to set you apart from another not dumb person, right? <laughs> it's your emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. So part of that is maybe therapy, introspection, understanding yourself better. Another part of that is continuing to have experiences and to develop your personality travel date go through breakups go through difficult experiences because that's how you learn and grow not being a bit uh, afraid of failure and stuff um so those are like two big buckets and then of course if you want something very like okay what can i actually do and sit down and do then cool figure out what your five values are mm -hmm. and start practicing that and and figuring out what that is so those are kind of the, the three things i would I, I would say that's awesome no super super applicable thing for all of us yeah I, I just hate this like general advice that um i hear sometimes of just being like oh you're great everything you're great patrick everything will be right you're you're a smart good guy it'll all um, work blah, out blah, in blah, the blah. end yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll all work out where it's like i think they need to like young people need to know, okay, what's actually the next step that I can, I, I, I can do, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like of going mm -hmm. here and there. And then like, if you want something else of like skills that, that, that you should develop, it's like, oh, like you shouldn't take Excel workshops or supply chain, like read, read uh, treatises on supply chain or white papers <laughs> on supply chain. It's like, like go and take LinkedIn courses on how to build on design PowerPoint presentations and 
find opportunities where you can publicly speak mm. because mm-hmm. even if you are the most introvert you're going to be selling yourself um talking about yourself ta- talking about your story or presenting uh some sort of business thing for the rest of your life so that's another place that you can invest as well yes i think to you eat in on the idea that you need to you need to apply the things that you're learning you can't just go read a white paper and be good like how do you go learn a skill learn about a skill intellectually and then apply it over and over to figure out how how it works for you Um, yeah well this is great um i know we have more to talk about so maybe we'll we'll talk again some other time want to talk to you about easy sunday club um but anything else uh where can people find out more about you where can they interact with you uh, maybe do a plug for easy sunday club um before we yeah wrap. um you can find me on linkedin um nam c nguyen n-g-u-y-e-n um and then uh, my wife's uh company that, that i help out with is easy sunday club e-a-s-y S-U-N-D-A-Y-C-L-U-B. So that, that's on Instagram or YouTube. Awesome. Very cool. Well, Nam, great to catch up. I am so appreciative of your time and your friendship and all the advice that you had. Cool. Thanks. Uh, really exciting to, to see you grow in different ways yourself. So thank Awesome. You. Thanks, Nam. And that does it for our first episode of 2023. I hope that some of what Nam shared is useful to you. I know that I certainly took away some things that I'll keep in mind as I approach this year and my career as a whole. It's also interesting to hear in different terms some of the concepts that we've touched on in previous episodes. If you're interested to either revisit or listen to for the first time some thoughts related to intrinsic and extrinsic factors that can drive your career, I invite you to check out episode two and three of the podcast that look at the internal and external drivers of Ikigai. For some other thoughts on setting goals that relate to the idea of looking at broader, more diverse experiences, you can also check out episode 6, How to Approach Goal Setting Using the Harada Method. More than anything, I'm so grateful for the vulnerability and transparency that Nam brought to the conversation, his humble approach to his work, his career, and those that he serves through work surpassed any expectation I could have had from my talk with him. We also only grazed the surface of his wife's company, Easy Sunday Club. Do check them out for some amazing art and be on the lookout for a future episode where I hope to have Nam back with Kathy to talk more about how they came up with Easy Sunday Club and pivoted from a corporate career into a successful entrepreneurial endeavor. As always, if you have any thoughts or questions about this episode or ideas you'd like to hear covered in future episodes, you can send them to me at patrick at prgscoach.com. If you also have a unique career story of your own or feel as though you have something to offer to the world as far as career development advice goes, I'd also love to hear from you to see about having you on a future episode of A Career Deep Dive. And with that, I'll sign off with a certain type of perfection can only be realized through a limitless accumulation of the imperfect. Thanks again for listening, and we'll talk more in our next episode.